Chapter 15, we want a king, rejecting God as king. 1 Samuel 8, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Why is it that the Israelites want a king to rule over them when they can have God as their king? What is it about us that we would rather look to man than to God? Why would you want a man to rule over you when you can have the king of kings and the lord of lords as your king? Is it the fact that you can attempt to manipulate man and pressure man into doing things one's own way? Is it the fact that we really don't know who the king is, so we go with what we know? Whatever the reason might be, man will always be a poor substitute for the real thing. Hence, we must always choose the real thing. The Israelites demanded that Samuel give them a king to rule over them because he had grown old and his two sons whom he had appointed as judges were unruly and didn't walk in God's ways. 1 Samuel 8, 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. Look at verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. God says, They have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me. My people have rejected me from being king over them, and they want to substitute me for a man. What spirit is operating here that would reject having God as king and set man up as king instead? Ultimately, it's a spirit that wants to make itself God, and it's a spirit that wants to be in control. I wonder if we really get the seriousness of what is happening here, or do we just glibly read these passages and move on to the next page, not realizing that we too can model the same behavior? The Israelites didn't reject Samuel. They rejected God. Samuel is God's mouthpiece and speaks on behalf of God. So in rejecting the words Samuel spoke, the Israelites are in fact rejecting God's will in favor of their own. Self-justification. I wonder how many times we have rejected God in this very same way because we have rejected the person God is using to speak his reality and chosen our will over what has been shared. I know I've experienced this in my own life. The journey we have been on as a church has seen many reject and walk away from what God has been saying. And people have even used the words, God is leading me to a new church to justify this rejection of God. The very scary thing is that I'm convinced that most of the people who have done this have had no real understanding this is what they have done. If I had $5 for every time I've heard this in my 17 years of following Christ so far, I would have an incredible amount of money stored up. The sad reality is I know it will continue to hear it. The Israelites are continually acting in disobedience towards God and the way they always have, even though God has been incredibly good to them and has provided for them. May we not repeat this behavior. So as we grasp the seriousness of, of what is outworking here, I want to show us that the same spirit that says we want man to be a king is the same spirit that wanted to command fire to come down from heaven and consume the Samaritans after they would not receive Christ. Luke 9, 54-56. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, 
Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. This isn't two random strangers that say this to, Je- to Jesus, but James and John. They are in the Jesus' type three. And Jesus says to them, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. We need to stop and ask ourselves what would be the motive behind such a thing. Because we too can be as guilty as James and John of condemning man or like the Israelites wanting man to be our king rather than the very king himself. It's the same spirit that is operating here. I find this verse in Proverbs 30 fascinating and one for us all to take note of. Proverbs 30, 27. The locusts have no king, yet all of them go out in ranks. Why is it that the locusts know how all of this works and yet we still haven't figured this out? When Christ truly is king in our hearts and minds, then the church, a people of oneness, will start to live and flow like the locusts. We will innately and authentically start to live in our God-given order, the order of the Spirit. While he is king in word only, we will continue to live from this other position of the flesh, and we see this same Spirit operating today in the body of Christ. We want a king. We elevate people in place of God and bow down to man and man's ways. We become more concerned about man and what man thinks than we do about God. We look to man for the answers and we look to man to supply us with all the how-tos. The sad thing is there are plenty of followers of Jesus who want to fulfill this function in our lives as king. Of course, no one ever admits this, but one can discern it if one is of his spirit. There is a certain smell or aroma that is associated with the spirit of pride. 1 Corinthians 4.8 you are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. There is no shortage of people who want to be kings as they actively pursue this position. But just like the Bible declares in Proverbs 30, 21 to 23, the earth shakes under three conditions. And the first is when a slave becomes king. Proverbs 30, 21 to 22. Under these three things, the earth quakes, and under four, it cannot bear up. Under a slave, when he becomes king. This religious system, organization, or institution runs rampant in this country, with people being put in roles as kings over the people. And these people are slaves spiritually. As sons, we can live with a slave or orphan spirit operating. A slave preserves self and does everything and anything to admonish himself and keep himself alive and well. A slave tramples on others to get where he is going and uses people to accomplish his own goals, all in the name of the king. A king who really is a slave will be a dictator and demand things of people that they are not fit to carry and see people as assets and commodities that are disposable. They will keep others down and try everything they can to make sure no one grows beyond them. They are in constant fear of this reality happening. Saul was this type of king. A king who is a slave is all about building their own empire, their own image, and their own glory and success because so long they have lived their lives in lack and it's time for them to get some gain. Do you know anyone like this in the body of Christ? And have you been used by them in the building of their own empire? 
The king goes to war for us. So why do we continue to want man to be king when this is such a dysfunctional way of living and being, when we can have Jesus as our king? We put the king of kings in place because we want them to meet our needs and do all the works for us so we can have a very relaxed and restful consumer-focused religious life where not too much is asked of us so there is plenty of time to do all the things we want to do with our lives. 1 Samuel 8, 19-20 Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. We want a king or kings to fight for us and on our behalf. When you have the combination of a people wanting to be king over them rather than God and have a good number of people who want to be kings over the people, what we have is a lost, lost scenario. All we have done is create a recipe for spiritual abuse and extreme spiritual dysfunction. One man gets the taste of being made king by the people and receives the adoration, the worship, the accolades, the prestige, the authority over people and the rewards of being a king. You have a disaster waiting to happen. As I mentioned earlier, you have a recipe for spiritual abuse and dysfunction. Even though Samuel warned the people what it was going to be like under the man appointed king, they would not listen. 1 Samuel 8, 10 to 20. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and fifties and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. He will also take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and use them for his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his servants. Then you will cry out in that day because your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that they, we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. They wanted and needed their short-term fix. They needed their fleshly desires satisfied and satisfied now. They needed to have a king over them, and it was insatiable. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Their insatiable thirst for fleshly satisfaction overpowered and overawed what their future reality would be like. Just like everyone else. They wanted to be like all the other nations. They wanted to operate like all those around them. They didn't want to stand out. They didn't want to be different. They wanted to blend in with those around them. Does any of this sound familiar? Jesus told Pilate he was a king from another kingdom in John 18 and that his kingdom operated completely opposite to the kingdom of the world. He said that his kingdom was not of this realm. John 18.36 My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting 
so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Jesus' kingdom and the way it operated is 100% opposite to the kingdom of the world. The big question is, are we operating completely opposite to the kingdom of the world or are we no different to the kingdom of the world? Are we actually prepared to let God do it his way? As this will mean incredible change for us and taking on responsibilities that I am not so sure many even want to consider. Much, much, much change is needed and required in his body today if we truly want his abundant life operating in and through us. This change needs to start at a leadership level if this is ever going to filter down to God's people. This battle rages at a leadership level. Are we to be like the Israelites who want to be like all the other nations? Do we want to be like the people of the world and operate under the same systems as the world? Although we will all emphatically say no to this, I am not so sure our no is a true reflection of our heart position. We adopt the world's ways and we try to wrap it all up as authentic Christianity. We build the institution in his name and call it going to church. And we constantly look for ways to do church better. All this thought process and language comes from the institutionalized mindset and model, which comes straight from the world. Titles are given that reinforce this position of king. Another example of this, we want a king's spirit, comes out in the way we address one another and expect others to address us. It wasn't too long ago that church leadership and many Pentecostal and evangelical churches in New Zealand started teaching that calling someone pastor this and pastor that is a sign of respect and honor. To not follow this practice would be perceived as disrespectful and dishonoring to the person. Very subtle and without ever realizing that we are building a class system. We are building a we want a king empire and we don't even realize it. It's so subtle we miss it and it sounds so good when in fact the outworking of this disastrous and poisonous to the body. If respect and honor comes from giving someone a title or a position or calling them by a title, for example, pastor, then John the Baptist was in trouble because he made it his business to not be known by a title or a position. John knew who he was in Christ and he didn't need a label or a title to define him by the people. He wasn't concerned whether the people honored him or treated him with respect. This wasn't for him to worry about. In fact, many people thought he was crazy and accused him of having a demon. Not a lot of honor and respect there, probably because there was no humility of spirit present. Proverbs 18.12, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Honor and respect come from humility of spirit. There will be true honor and respect for a person when there is a humility of spirit present and operating in a person rather than just lip service. Respect and honor is not found in giving a person a title or a name change, but through a genuine work of the Holy Spirit done in a person's heart. Once again, there is a lot of false honor and false respect happening through the flesh. We continue to operate under man's ways, wondering why we still don't see the authentic life happening. We use laws to try and create the change of behavior we want to see, and it never works. But we continue in these ways, trying harder and harder and getting more frustrated. John knew he was a prophet and not just any prophet without needing to be given a title or label. And when the institution turned up and tried to define him, he just said he was a voice. 
Unfortunately, the Pastor Bob or Pastor Greg culture is all part of the institutionalized machine, which is where we want a king culture comes from. Once again, labels to try and define what is authentic in Christ. I am not Pentecostal or Evangelical or Anglican or a pastor. We are all called to simply be followers of Jesus who live our lives out of the overflow or our intimate relationship with Jesus. The gifts on our lives that have been given by our Father also operate from this place of relationship. If I am living this out, being led by His Spirit, then all those who can recognize Christ's call upon me will honor and respect what He has given. We do not need to label or start calling people by titles for this honor and respect to be demonstrated. When you get man doing it man's ways, the result of this is a mutated outcome. The king is to meet all our needs. We elect kings so they can come and go before us and fight our battles for us, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. It is also the king's role to feed us and to make our experience a memorable one, where all of my and my family's emotional, spiritual, and physical needs are met. We look to the king or the kings to teach us and to make us feel safe and secure. It is their role to ask, seek, and knock, and it is our role to just receive. It's the king's role to rescue us from our oppressors and our enemies. Jesus found himself in a situation in John 6, 15, when he perceived that the people were intended to come and make him king by force. John 6, 15. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intended to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. They wanted him to rescue them from the Romans and their oppressions of the Romans. And in their eyes, the Messiah was coming to do this when he showed up. He was going to, in their eyes, severely deal to their oppressors and reestablish Israel in her rightful place. So when he perceived they were going to do this by force, he withdrew. Jesus was king, but he saw the motive of man's heart and why they wanted to make him king. And he withdrew before this desire could be realized. He was the king and he wanted to be king in their lives, but not the way they wanted him to be. He would not be associated with or be part of this man-made way of living and neither should we. The sad thing is for many, they are not prepared to let go of this way and truly come into his way. Keeping the spirit in place. We make sure that we keep this we want a king spirit in place and if anyone has the boldness and courage to challenge it, and to live for a Christ-centered reality, we threaten this person with words like, well, if this continues, I may have to go somewhere else. Oh, and by the way, my money goes with me as well. What this we want a king spirit creates is an audience spectator mindset and culture. We're turning up to a service and singing songs and putting some money in a bucket is the goal rather than the laying down of our lives and our wholehearted devotion and commitment to being part of a body that is being built by Christ and accomplishing the will of the Father. As I mentioned earlier, there is no shortage of people who want to play this role as king in the lives of others. But I wonder how many of these people realize the pressure that being this type of king brings. If the king doesn't perform to the ways of the people or isn't living up to the expectations of the people, then the king will be replaced. This type of king, by the way, better not fall morally or even be seen to have any issues in certain areas of their lives, as this is the unredeemable position. 
They will be disregarded as quickly as they came and replaced with another more suitable replacement. They will have now joined the rubbish pile of all the other kings who didn't quite fit the bill. The pressure to perform is immense and the pressure to be the answer and to keep all the plates spinning at once becomes too much for many and we find these kings on the burnt out rubbish pile. We like the idea of God being king and we like to say he is king but in reality things are very different. The reality is many don't know him well enough for him to be king, hence we make man king. To continue operating in this way is to lose-lose for all who live by this fleshly way. Actions speak louder than words. Our lives are, as we have said, the true demonstration of what we actually believe, rather than the words we speak. For many, he is a king only in word, rather than in conviction of heart and lifestyle. If the words we speak don't align to our actions, then this is called hypocrisy. The word hypocrite means one who acts. In other words, one who is putting on a show. Do we too elect kings to be over us rather than the true king himself? Do we reject God as king and put man in the place of God? Appoint them a king. I want us now to look at how God responds to the demands of the Israelites because his response to them seems contrary to what we might think it would be. If I were God, I'm not sure I would have responded in this way. But as I am discovering more and more, God's ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. We see his response in verses 21 to 22. Now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, He repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. Appoint them a king? What is God thinking? Doesn't he know he has given them all what they want? And by doing this, giving them the impression that they are doing the right thing. Why would God do this? Why doesn't he just leave them to their own devices and see how they get on? Why would he grant them what they are asking for? In fact, what they are demanding. What is fascinating is that God enters into their process with them and actually defines who their king will be. God's ways are higher than ours, and God knows the end from the beginning. God makes this decision based upon the macro picture rather than what is happening in the now. God is going to use this situation as an opportunity for an object lesson of what happens when man does it his own way rather than the Father's way. God enters into the Israelites' disobedience ultimately because he loves his people and God will work in the situation because of this love. It's not because they are right or doing it his way as they have constantly forsaken him and served other gods. Remember, they rejected him. He does it because he is love and he loves us and he will use it to teach us about himself and others in the hope that we will surrender our lives to him for our own benefit. I do wonder if we are different to the Israelites today. As mentioned in previous chapters, we say we love God, but in our heart of hearts, do we? Or have we forsaken God for other gods? How many times has man used the name of God to accomplish his own will? And how many times has God let it happen? There is so much going on in the body of Christ today in his name, which is fundamentally wrong and man's agenda runs rampant. Man has used the name of Jesus in areas of finance, prosperity, fame, and fortune to build his own empire. 
I have had visiting speakers want to know how much money they are going to receive as a love gift before they say yes to whether they will come and minister or not. They weigh up in their eyes what meeting provides the best financial resource and what they perceive to be the best usage of their time by how many people will be present and then decide accordingly. You might find this mind-blowing, but this goes on more than you would like to imagine. All this goes on and comes from what we call we want a king's spirit. This is what happens when man makes man king rather than Jesus being king in a person's life. We end up listening to man, thinking this is what you do and this is a normal way of operating rather than listening to Christ as king and serving others out of the love in your heart for Christ. The Father works with both groups. God is working with both groups of followers today because of his incredible love for us. He works with those who truly have him as king in their lives, and he works with those who want man to be king. The work that he is doing will be different because of the outcomes he has in mind. Things are not always as they may appear in God. I encourage you to ask him where you truly sit with this reality. Are you caught up either wanting to be king over the people or wanting man to be king over you and your life? Are you more concerned about what others think, looking for the assurance of man to please man and needing the affirmation of man? Do you find yourself living for man's visions and man's agenda, wrapped up as Christ's? Or do you know that you know that you know that you are living for the king's purposes and will because of the life you have come into? Do you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life as evidence of your abiding life in Christ as your king? Jesus is king, and he is returning as king to establish his literal kingdom on the earth, and all those who are subjects of the king will find themselves participating to some measure in this literal kingdom on the earth. What a promise for all those who have made Jesus king of their lives.